Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Literally, Joe Biden is coming for your guns. And of course, we've got more on the Tucker Carlson Ukraine Russia war questions asked of the potential, quote unquote, GOP presidential candidates. I'm Andrew Coppins. He's Pat Oney. This is Critical Thinking. Pat, happy start of the NCAA tournament day to you. How are you today? Sad. Why? My Buckeyes aren't in the tournament. You knew that that was not going to happen. You've known this for weeks, if not I, months. It's still sad. It's still sad. Okay. okay. It's always sad when your team doesn't make it. Yeah. This, you know, it's a rarity for for us uh, Badger fans. It's only happened twice in the last 28 years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we're experiencing that. At least we have the NIT to to kind of buttress some of these things. Uh, we play Liberty on uh, Sunday, so we'll see what happens there. But um, I, I love this time of year. I think it's fantastic because this is an opportunity for, you know, players, for coaches, for universities that people may not know about or see uh, to get seen and heard. And um, <clears throat> anybody who says the exposure of the NCAA tournament doesn't matter, doesn't pay attention to what happens to universities following um, the exposure of the NCAA tournament. Um, I think it was, uh, was it Butler? Yeah, Butler, after their run to the Final Four, of, you know, the, well, multiple runs to the Final Four that they made, they saw a 500% increase in applications. You know, we, we see we see it all the time from different universities, and <clears throat> it has a really large impact on the academic side of life and the administrative side of life and the athletic side of life for these various universities. I love it for that, but more importantly, I love it because the basketball is absolutely freaking-lutely fantastic more often than not. And it's, <clears throat> I mean, 
granted, you could, you could make this argument in any sport, but I feel like especially in basketball, anybody can beat each other on any given day. And this mm-hmm. tournament helps prove that. And it makes it so much more entertaining. Yeah, I I struggled to pick a lot of upsets in this version of the NCAA tournament, but uh, it would not surprise me to see my bracket just absolutely crushed by the end of today. And by the way, if you are listening or watching and you are doing so prior to um, 11 a.m. Central Time or noon Eastern Time, head on over to ESPN.com. You can enter our tournament challenge. It is an open group. Just search critical thinking and you'll find it. Um, very, very simple. Join us. Uh, if you can beat us and get to the top of the mountain, you will win coffee brand coffee from coffeebrandcoffee.com, where you can enter the promo code critical thinking at checkout for 5% off of your purchase today. We thank them for their support of the show and all of that wonderful goodness. All right. Um, that notwithstanding, we have a lot to get into. We've got Biden and his unilateral push to attempt to literally ban guns. Um, he has said as much on Twitter and he is attempting to just unilaterally make it even more difficult for you and I or anybody else to purchase a gun. So we're going to talk about that in the second half of the program. But, uh, yesterday we started with the Tucker Carlson asking of questions to the GOP presidential hopefuls and, uh, Quite a few of them answered, right? We had Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, uh, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Christy Nome literally go in-depth and answer all six of the questions. So we did the first three questions yesterday. We're going to deep dive into the next three questions here. So let's go ahead and do that. First of all, the questions that we are going to be dealing with today are as follows. Questions numbers four, five, and six. Question four, should the United States support regime change in Russia? Number five, have U.S. sanctions been effective? And number six, does the United States face the possibility of nuclear war with Russia? So, Pat, before we get into the answers, I think these are vitally important questions for the GOP hopefuls to answer because it gives us insight not just necessarily into foreign policy or how they would maybe prosecute or not prosecute or get us in or out of a war with Russia, but because I think this is how do they critically think. That's that's why this these answers and these questions matter, because these are not just matters of simple platitudes. These are matters of deep thinking. These are matters of critical importance. So let's go ahead and take a look at the answers here. Uh, First up is Donald Trump answering that fourth question. Again, that fourth question being, do you support, should the United States support regime change in Russia? And Donald Trump's answer to that question is, of course, no, we should support regime change in the United States. That's far more important. The Biden administration are the ones who got us into this mess. Let's move forward to Ron DeSantis answering the same question. The Biden administration's policies have driven Russia into a de facto alliance with China. Because China has not and will not abide by the embargo, Russia has increased its foreign revenue while China benefits from cheaper fuel. Coupled with his intentional depletion of the strategic uh, strategic petroleum reserve in support for the left's Green New Deal, Biden has further empowered Russia's energy-dominant economy and Putin's war machine at America's expense. Now, this could be construed as the answer to number five, and you might be right there, Pat. But at the same point in time, I think the important part of all of this is that um, Ron DeSantis 
didn't decide to answer every question here. He decided to kind of give uh, more of a stream of conscious thought to answering these questions. And I, I don't see it as being a bad thing necessarily. Fair enough. Um, all right. So Mike Pence answered the question this way. That is a better question for the thousands of Russian citizens jailed for protesting the Russian invasion of Ukraine. As many as 200,000 Russian troops have been killed or wounded in Putin's invasion of Ukraine. That question should be asked to those families grieving their loss. Ask if they would support a regime change. Moving forward to Vivek Ramaswamy answering, no, we should, we've seen this movie before, Libya. Yemen, Afghanistan, the list goes on. History shows the U.S. is abysmal at effectuating regime change. And even when we do, we usually end up regretting it. Regime change is riddled with unintended consequences. The bigger risk we need to worry about is driving Putin into Xi's hands. Our policies are having pre precisely that effect now. And I will say this, Pat. That is why I brought up Ron DeSantis' answer. It's because Ron DeSantis gets it. Ron DeSantis sees this as an economic problem, not a regime change problem, and so does Vivek. But let's finish this off with Christy Nome. Her answer, not at this time, as it could lead to an even more destabilized Europe and cause escalation up the nuclear ladder. All right, Pat. So now that you've heard the answers to should we support regime change, your thoughts on that issue and how it was answered by multiples or by all of these candidates or well, potential candidates, I should say. The general consensus here is no, and I I totally agree with no. We shouldn't we shouldn't support regime change. I mean, okay. I, I think Vivek and Ron DeSantis had the the best answers here in terms of yes, Ron DeSantis didn't directly answer the question, but he gave you a good good stream of thought there. Mm -hmm. Um, in regards to this, Vivek I think gave probably the more direct answer of all of them because he actually gave examples of how we have failed at this in the past. And I'll even say Donald Trump, I think, even gave a decent answer here because a lot of this was is falling back on the Biden administration. If anything, if we should support any regime change, it's here because the Biden administration, for whatever reason, and we've talked about this in recent weeks, seems to keep pushing us closer and closer towards that World War Three war with Russia um type mentality and and i find that to be very disturbing um christy gnome however i didn't like her answer really that much because it it it, it leaves it open to not at this time so that means it's at some point in time you would support a regime change that, that seems like a very mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at least a much weaker answer in terms of this question to me than the others no and that that's fair enough i think um for me, the the Vivek answer is the right answer here. Right. And, it, it, and it's, it's because he understands what happens if you attempt this. Mm -hmm. You drive him into a further – you drive into not just further escalation, but you drive into a further problem that you cannot dig yourself out of if you were to attempt this and fail. And <clears> – <throat> Mike Pence's answer I thought was kind of interesting, but also it just smelled of pandering. 
Like this bit. is this is the answer that you give when you're sitting in front of a town hall debate style situation to try to score some sort of sympathy points, right? Talk to the 200,000 people that yeah, okay. Well, let's talk to the 100,000 people in Ukraine that are in jail right now. Let's talk to the pastors of churches. Let's talk to the political opponents or the non-state-run media that have been jailed and and suspended and kicked out of jobs, right? Let, let's go ahead and have that conversation too on the other side, right? The other side here is exactly angels. So I, I, I just, I smell the politician dripping off of him with that answer. That's where I came with that. It's not a terrible idea of like, hey, if, if Russia wants its own regime change, let them, right? But we shouldn't foment it. Um, I don't think that's a bad answer, but it smelled of just pure Washington, D.C. grifter bullcrap. Well, I mean, if this were the 1990s, I think Mike Pence would be a very strong candidate right now. But this is 2023. A lot of things have changed. We, we What you're describing is the old guard of the GOP, which everyone is so sick of. That That's what that, that answer screamed of. I, I totally agree with that analysis. So let us go ahead and move on to number five here on the list. And of course, that question again is, have U.S. sanctions been effective? Have U.S. sanctions been effective? What is the answer from one Donald Trump on this question? Well, um, it is very simple. No, they have not been effective. Just the opposite. They drove Russia, China, and Iran into an unthinkable situation. And Ron DeSantis' answer, the Biden administration's policies have driven Russia into a de facto alliance with China because, excuse me, because China has not and will not abide by the embargo, Russia has increased its foreign revenues while China benefits from cheaper fuel. Coupled with its uh, with his intentional depletion of the strategic petroleum reserve and support for the left's Green New Deal, Biden has further empowered Russia's energy-dominated economy and Putin's war machine at America's expense. Mike Pence. The Trump-Pence administration established a devastating... And moving on to Mike Pence, the Trump-Pence administration established a devastating sanctions program and was the toughest U.S. administration on Russia since the Cold War. Sanctions against Russia could have had even more painful consequences if the Biden administration moved quicker with new sanctions and Western Europe had heeded U.S. warnings to look elsewhere for energy sources. Russia's economy and currency are not stronger than before the war. The Russian economy is in freefall. The Russian ruble is still afloat because of the extremely costly measures Russia has taken to keep their currency at pre-war levels in the face of sanctions. Russia is currently being propped up by China, and if China withdraws their support, Putin could run out of money by as soon as 2024. Russia is not in a stronger economic position. This war is costing Russia their economy, their military prowess, their position on the world stage, and it's costing lives. We also have Vivek Ramaswamy saying, clearly not. Russia is stronger because of higher oil and gas revenue owing to higher prices. The lesson for the U.S. and the West should be to abandon the climate cult that shackles the West while leaving Russia and China untouched. We restrict our own energy while the Russians and Chinese go pedal to the metal on their own energy, including coal. 
the Biden administration jovially sacrifices our energy dominance on the altar of green goals, some mythical target in the far future that the world will never hit. As president, I will end that foolish and self-destructive game. Moving forward, we also have Christy Nome on this topic. The United States has come to rely far too heavily on financial sanctions as a weapon of deterrence. Now nations that hate America are consciously moving away from the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. Sanctions against China, Iran, and Russia have bolstered the Russian ruble and enabled China to establish trade in Chinese money rather than in U.S. dollars. One of the worst side effects of these sanctions has been the skyrocketing cost of oil and natural gas in America and around the world. <clears throat> Russia is selling less of its oil and gas, but they are doing so at a much higher price. It's counterfactual to say that Russia's economy is stronger in the wake of the war. The more appropriate phrase here is more resilient. Russia has ridden out the sanctions remarkably well, but its economy remains weak and it'll get sucked into the global recession that it helped cause. All right. So your thoughts there, Pat. <clears throat> so I feel like that's probably Christy Nome's best answer so far. Um, of of all of them, I think she. I mean, some of them said some things that are fairly similar to that, um, yeah. like Ron DeSantis and Vivek. Um, but I think she understands, like, hey, this is this is this, the sanctions aren't working. It's it really has in some ways made Russia more resilient, not necessarily stronger, but resilient. Um, in terms of their economy and how mm -hmm. they are going about things, um, I can't remember who it was now, but but someone talked about the how um, the, you know they, they've been able to to push their oil and gas and everything, um, and 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 that in ways that's become stronger, um, and and that's made them more uh, energy independent, if you will. Um, so I, I do get that. I, I I struggle with a lot of Trump's answers here because he's giving very, like, I don't mind giving short and concise answers, but he gives no detail. He just gives an answer and expects, you know, this is the right answer and everyone's going to get behind it is what it feels like to me. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I don't know that that this is a good sign for us in terms of how we handle Russia going forward if if he's president again. Okay. Um, but yeah. And and that's a fair enough criticism. I think the bigger criticism of Trump's answers to to furthering your point is that you know, let's look at what he talked about with build the wall and in Mexico will pay for it. Right. How? Right. Ow. And he never answered that question. And right. anybody who thought that Mexico was going to pay for it is, was absolutely insane. And they still are insane. The Laura Loomers of the world. Right. The mm -hmm. those types of individuals, the MAGA forever crowd. I, that, I think th this is red meat to them. Right. Because he's right. just answering the, the platitude. He is just answering with the buzzwords and the phrases and the catchphrases that these individuals right. are going to to eat up. Right. <clears throat> The one thing I will point out is that all the candidates do seem to understand that the sanctions don't, have not worked and they're not going to work. And why do we keep trying to do the same thing over and over again? It's the definition of insanity. Yeah, the, the suggestion that we're going to bring them to their knees. And and I think Vivek and Christy Nome and DeSantis understand, I think, the 
the broader perspective here, because we've talked about the petrodollar before on this program right. and the fact that if we lose the petrodollar and suddenly now the Chinese uh, renminbi or or whatever currency becomes that dominant petro currency, we're in trouble. What we're experiencing right now is going to look like child's play. In fact, I said the Great Depression is going to look like child's play uh, to what uh, to what could happen here. And it has everything to do with our ability to trade in our own currency and because of the debt that we have incurred, unlike other nations. Um, not, not saying other nations don't have debt. I'm saying they don't have it at the rate that the percentage at the level of inability to pay right. or inability, I should say, to pay it back that we do. Um, so I, I, I real, realistically think that that there are people who get it right, and they're not going to be able to, in you know, thirty second answers, give you the full picture. But it's clear that the vast majority of them understand uh, the game that's being played here, and it's national, international, right, and. Um, we are kind of being put into the position of being the pawn uh, stuck in the middle, if you will, because Ukraine is on the side of international economics versus the nationalistic side of things. And it's not national. I want to be careful because I want people to understand I'm not saying that it's um, sovereign economics, that that's, there's a difference between what I'm talking about and sovereign economics. Um, so just again, study Alexander Dugan. Study what it, they mean by nationalism, what they mean by capital T traditional. Um, those things are going to be important for you to understand exactly what's really behind all of this and what's really going on and why this is such a really dangerous situation to put ourselves in. All right. So let's go ahead and move forward, though, to question numero six. Does the United States face the possibility of nuclear war with Russia? Most people answered this question with the exception of Ron DeSantis, because I think Ron DeSantis looked at this and said, uh, yeah, so what? But uh, Donald Trump answered very succinctly. It depends on who the president of the United States is. At the moment, with Biden as president, absolutely yes. He says and does all the wrong things at the wrong time. Then we move forward to Mike Pence. Putin is still, quote, the small and bullying leader of Russia. His talk of nuclear war is a bullying tactic that he used at the start of the invasion. But Putin should know the United States will not be bullied. This administration has not led with strength on the world stage, but America is still a nation that believes peace comes through strength. And then we have uh, Vivek's answer on this question. The risk of nuclear war goes up the more that China begins to back Russia, which is happening now before our eyes. This is the number one risk factor to the U.S. taking an aggressive posture towards Russia while going soft on China. We drive Putin straight into Xi Jinping's hands. The foreign policy establishment has demonstrated weakness time and time again when it comes to Russia, including in our nuclear arms negotiations with the Russian Federation, which continues even now. Putin and the Russians and the Soviets before them not only brazenly violated every nuclear arms control treaty we have with them, but the U.S. gives up any semblance of negotiating leverage. It's humiliating. The Trump administration rightly began to walk away from the New START treaty as the Biden administration swooped in and stopped that process. 
squandering all negotiating power and absurdly signed a five-year extension. Russia may be a third-world gas station with an economy the size of Pennsylvania, but they are a third-world gas station with more nuclear warheads than any other nation on the planet, including the U.S. The global defense establishment must dig its head out of the sand and buck up to the fact that China, who is not constrained by any nuclear arms treaty, is secretly building up its nuclear stockpile. They are nearing nuclear parity. For these reasons, it serves the U.S. national security interests to move ahead with full-spectrum missile defense to protect U.S. soil. We cannot afford a bottomless pit of military spending and need to focus on the priorities that actually advance our national defense interests. And then finally, Christy Nome had this to say. The Biden regime is taking us quickly up the escalatory ladder with a series of provocative actions and statements. We cannot back down from any legitimate threat that Putin makes against the United States. We are closer now to the use of tactical nuclear weapons than we have ever been. That would that would be what Putin would use first. This is not about dropping the big one on New York or Los Angeles. Putin would slaughter thousands of souls in a contained fighting environment. With that, Pat, your thoughts on the nuclear war question. So everybody that, that that's blaming the Biden administration on this isn't wrong. I, I will say this. I mean, and that was basically Christy Nome, Mike Pence, and Donald Trump. I mean, they they, they all they all kind of blamed the Biden administration for. And, and again, they're they're not wrong. Okay. However. Vivek, I think, still takes the spotlight with this one because his answer just is is showing this is a guy that knows what time it is, um, and he understands what time it is. Um, he understands that that China is a big player within this. It's not just Russia; China is also involved in this. And the more that we push Putin into Xi's hands. You know, the greater the risk, and it's not even just nuclear war. There are other factors too, which I feel like Vivek highlights, not necessarily just in this answer, but throughout the rest of his answers as well. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm, this is again, I'm not endorsing anybody. Oh. However, I will say, of all the people that have answered these questions, I am the most impressed with Vivek. I'm the most in, intrigued by him. And this is someone that everybody should be paying attention to at this point because he's giving very smart, detailed, and and to the point kind of answers. Yeah, I think, and I have said this for a long time, Pat. the The simple answer here would have been the answer that I have always held when it comes to, um. Joe Biden in foreign policy. Whatever Joe Biden says and does, you do the exact opposite and you'll win. Yep. Okay. And the Pence answer of peace through strength. Okay. What strength? What 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 strength can we produce that will stop Russia? Again, that's the typical GOP answer. It is right? the answer of the 19 19- and, and to to steal from Barack Obama, right, President Barack mm-hmm. Obama, you know, the 1980s called and they want their foreign policy back. Right. That, that's exactly what that answer was. Yeah. And, and and you're stuck in a foreign policy that you don't understand the broader geopolitical issue that is at foot. They don't need the United States as an adversary. 
they need an orbit, a sphere of influence that is theirs. And that, and we have driven that sphere of influence to include Iran, to include China, to potentially include India now. And if you do that, you include the number one most populous nation, the number two most populous nation, the, the second greatest energy nation, and two, three, four, all of them have nuclear weapons, with the exception of maybe Iran. And, and I believe that Iran would be very close to having nuclear weapons at this point, if not already actually does have them. Um, and if they don't, they'll get them very quickly from the other three nations that do. Let's remind you, India has nuclear weapons. Russia has nuclear weapons. China has secretly been building up a nuclear stockpile. So we know these things. Now let's also include North Korea into that mix, right? Because of its influence with China and, and, and all of that. So when I take a look at all of this, we, there's one person who doesn't get what time it is, and that's Mike Pence. Everybody else seems to understand a little bit closer to what time this is. And what I will say is this. On an intellectual level, Vivek Ramaswamy is head and shoulders above all of them. Head and shoulders above them. The question that I will have going forward is, can he translate that into not necessarily electability, but likability? Meaning, can he be somebody that can be relatable to the average American as maybe he gets more exposure and things like that? Now, the good part right. for me is that I know that he can, only because I have been paying attention to how he interacts, how he portrays himself in the media and in interviews as a very, very, very relatable individual. He is not some uppity hedge fund guy that uh, is going to let you know, you know, hey, I've got a crap ton of money and um, you're below me. That, that's not <clears throat> who he is. He, he, he's no Mitt Romney, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I mean, I mean, at this point, though, I, to, to your to your adding to your point here is. How many people really knew who Vivek is at this point? Yeah, of course. And, and yeah. that'll take some time, I think. But but the, the good news is that when you start to give these types of answers that he gave and show the command of the ideas and command of the, the policies, the broader implications, right? As you start showing command, you start to gain and garner attention. And it'll be interesting to see how this goes forward. He stands above the crowd for me. Yeah, I would if I, if, if I were if I were ranking these, Vivek one, DeSantis two, Trump three. Um, actually, yeah, Trump three, Gnome yeah. four, and uh, Pence five. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's exactly how I would have ranked it. Actually, yeah. So I think the, I think for our audience, let's pay attention to what Vivek is doing and saying, and you know, hopefully our our goal will be to get him onto this program at some point in time during his candidacy to to really kind of talk through some of these types of issues and and you know some other things. Um, but it is very clear that he understands how to lead. that that's what's becoming clear to me. And when I'm looking at as we go forward, what do we need? Leadership. So when I look at him, 
when I look at Ron DeSantis, I see leaders. I I see different leadership styles, but I see leaders. Um, and I find it interesting that Donald Trump is using all sorts of the dirty pool, dirty tricks now to attempt to go after Ron DeSantis before DeSantis has even declared it an actual candidacy. Right. But we'll leave that for another day and another time. Um, now that we've gone through all of those things, Pat, I think it's a great time for us to, I don't know, play a little bit of the B or not the B. Yeah, hit me with it. All right. So today's B or not the B. Gavin Newsom is a big fan of bailing out Silicon Valley Bank, but somehow I forgot to mention he's a client. Gavin Newsom is a big fan of bailing out Silicon Valley Bank, but he somehow forgot to mention that he is a client. Do you need a little bit of time to think through this one, Pat? Uh, no, no, I actually know the answer to this one because, again, I saw this not from the source that you're quoting from, but I saw this from like the Daily Wire or something like this yesterday. Oh, okay. So I know this is not the B. You are correct. This is not the B. That's right. Gavin Newsom is a client of Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, how would you ever want – it's not like there's a conflict of interest or anything. <sighs> On Monday, after the whole Silicon Valley Bank kerfuffle, California's governor, Patrick Bateman, I mean Gavin Newsom, <laughs> released this statement about what a terrific job the Biden admin, the Biden admin has done to save the bank. Quote, the Biden administration has acted swiftly and decisively to protect the American economy and strengthen public confidence in our banking system. Their actions this weekend have calmed nerves and had profoundly positive impacts on California on our small businesses that can now make payroll, workers who will get their paychecks, on affordable housing projects that can continue construction, and on nonprofits that can keep their doors open tomorrow. California is a pillar of the American economy, and federal leaders did the right thing, ensuring our, in, innovative, in, our innovation economy can continue to grow and move forward. Okay, so the California governor is glad the federal government is saving the biscuits of a California bank. Not exactly a shock, right? But from The Intercept, <clears throat> California Governor Gavin Newsom praised the Biden administration's decision to intervene on behalf of Silicon Valley Bank's clients after the bank was taken over by the FDIC on Friday amid a bank run. The White House, quote, acted swiftly and decisively to protect the American economy and strengthen public confidence in our banking system, Newsom said in a statement. What Newsom didn't mention is that he has also protected his own companies if they held over $250,000 in deposits. That's right. Cad, Odette, and Plumpjack, three wineries owned by Newsom, are listed as clients of SVB on the bank's website. Newsom also maintained personal accounts at F SVB for years, according to a longtime former employee of Newsom's who handled his finances and who requested anonymity to avoid professional reprisal. Quote, Governor Newsom's business and financial holdings are held at and managed by a blind trust, as they have been since he was first elected governor in 2018, Nathan Click, a spokesperson for Newsom, told The Intercept in an email. So Newsom likely just avoided losing millions of dollars thanks to Biden's plan, which totally not which was totally not a bailout, according to Biden, but is, in fact, the federal government using a bucket to take water out of SVG's sinking ship. We used to have a term for this, by the way, right? Yeah. Newsom has a real personal interest in making sure that he gets all of his money back. And there's more. Newsom also didn't mention that his wife Jennifer Seibel's professional ties to the bank. In 2021, Silicon Valley gave $100,000 to the charity founded by Seibel, the California Partners Project, 
at the request of Newsom. John China, president of SVB Capital and responsible for SVB's funds management, is himself a founding member of the California Partners Project Board of Directors. The ties run deep with the Democrats and slimy politicians like Newsom. Now, check this out. Newsom, a multimillionaire who was a businessman before becoming a politician, has been dogged for years with ethics questions about his corporate holdings. When asked during his 2018 campaign for governor if he would sell his companies, Newsom reportedly replied, quote, These are my babies, my life, my family. I can't do that. I can't sell them. Instead, in December of 2018, Newsom announced that he would establish the Blind Trust and give control of his trust to a family friend and attorney, Shyla Hendrickson. Under the arrangement, his sister, Hillary Newsom retained her role as president of the governor's plumpjack group, which includes hotels, wineries, uh, wineries, bars, restaurants, and liquor stores founded by Newsom. Ah, look, it's not, I'm not saying that this is corruption. What I'm saying is there, you, you should be disclosing that you have a personal beneficial gain from this action happening. That's what you need to disclose. And it's not as if Gavin Newsom doesn't know where these, that money is held or was held, right? right? But more importantly, the blind trust can come out and say, hey, yes, these, yes, we, we are protecting our own business. This business is protected because we held money in Silicon Valley Bank. However, this is the right action for everybody. Not just ourselves. And if we held an XYZ bank and XYZ bank was also in trouble, we would suggest the same thing. Look, there, that's one That's one thing. But the just the utter lack of transparency, just come out and say it, man. Just, just be honest. It's okay. It is okay to say, yeah, guess what? My company's also held money there because we believed in the confidence of this bank, right? What is wrong with that? I, I don't get it. I mean, I mean, do you really expect transparency from a guy that wasn't very transparent what he was doing when COVID was going? Of course not. On? French laundry much, yeah. right? Yeah, right. No, I, of course I don't expect it, but this isn't hard. The American people go, okay, great. But now that you've done this, what do you give off the implication of impropriety here, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's why you have to take ethics and morality seriously. This guy has no ethics. This guy has no morality. Let's be honest about that. That is very, very clear from this situation. Now, one thing that you have not heard us talk about yet, Pat, and something that I think that um, maybe we can deal with on Monday um, or maybe a little bit tomorrow is that we are coming up because, well, maybe we'll deal with this tomorrow. Uh, but we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of 15 days to flatten the curve. In fact, it started, quote-unquote, yesterday, if you will. You mean um, three years? Three years. Three years. Yeah. Yep. We're coming up on three years of 15 yeah. days to flatten the curve. And that really kind of started um, – it, it, this is why I remember it. It really kind of started on St. Patrick's Day of uh, – at least here in Chicago of 2020. Um they, they canceled the parade. Um, the bars were being kind of shut down. All that sort of stuff was going on. And it was very eerie because we had we had plans with friends and we ended up only having a couple of friends come over and everything was just kind of weird. Right. The whole world was beginning to just kind of 
suck into a vacuum. And in a city like Chicago, that's so vibrant, that has people walking around all the time and noise and, and hustle and bustle and, and all that stuff to it, to hear crickets and birds and you know what I mean? Like it was very eerie. It, and so maybe we'll deal the, deal with this on Monday, actually, now that I think about it, because this will be very good with the book club on Monday. But I, I just want people to realize that this is where we are three years out. So we're going to take a retrospective on Monday along with uh, the um, the book club on the rise of the Fourth Reich, um, confronting COVID fascism so that it never happens again. Um We'll take a look at that book from Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz. Uh, chapters five and six um, is where we're going to be on Monday. So if you haven't gotten the book already, now is a great time. Go to Amazon, get that book. Um, it's pretty easy to catch up. Um, you're only about 60, almost 70 pages in to get to chapters five and six. So it's not really all that difficult uh, to get there. Um, so get it, get it fast. Um but yeah, I just wanted to recognize that we know that this exists, right? Uh, we're aware of what time it is and where we are, but there are lots of things going on, including what is happening in the world of guns. And as we watch the potential for a broader economic issue the instability of banks right moody has downgraded the entire u.s banking system to a negative rating that's a big deal because that means they don't have confidence in the big national banks you know bank of america chase all of those sorts of things when we take a look at the crash in 2008 right we look at whom gets bailed out? Whom doesn't get bailed out? We we look at the patterns, right? We're kind of just repeating things over and over here. You know, Lehman Brothers bailed out. They're not bailed out. Goldman Sachs bailed out, right? Why? One played the game. One refused to play the game. How are we going to go down that road this time around? And... I have long said that we have an issue from a banking perspective because the banks never learned their lesson from 2008. The banks have been taking on risky debt for six, seven, eight years now. They've been taking on risky treasury debt, right? They've been taking long-term plays. And the long-term play there is that we're going to get X percent back, right, from that treasury debt. And now we know – and now – what is happening? That treasury yield has been sucked out of these things. And uh-oh, we're not going to get our money back out of these things. It is not as if they're taking on risky mortgage debt, by the way, because that that indice um, is far, far healthier. Like we were talking about, so 100 being a great number, um, for the the risk of mortgages, right? It was at the 900 level in 2006 leading into 2007, okay? That's bad. That means there's all sorts of really risky debt 
that may, may or may not be paid back. But today, we're at about 116, 117. So we're about normal. Um, there's a few more risks that are being taken, and that has to do with state laws and some other things that have gone on that are forcing some of these banks to take on more risky debt than they normally would. Um, and it's also because they've changed the thresholds for income, right? It used to be about 31%. Now it's up to 38%. And that has to do with a whole lot of things, including pricing of homes, um, and some of those things becoming unaffordable. But as we take a look at that banking crisis and the potential for broader economic issues, what do we know? Never let a good crisis go to waste, right? So as everybody is piling onto this story in the 24-7 news channels and CBS and NBC and ABC News and you know the Washington Post and New York Times and la-da-da-da-da-da, right? They're all hammering on this piece of news. Look over here. Look over here. What is the Biden administration doing? Next to really nothing about this issue other than to create some bogus, you know, new newfangled idea within the Federal Reserve plus the U.S. government. To bail out, I mean, um, insure the uninsured. But beyond that, Pat. As that is going on, what is the Biden administration attempting to slip in here? What do we know? Uh, a, a universal background check on guns? Not just that. Not just that, Pat. <clears throat> Joe Biden has attempted to um, come out. He's literally come out and said we need to ban, we need to ban assault weapons. We need to ban the ability for people to purchase weapons. And what is really dangerous is that statement, number one. But number two, the American people need to understand exactly what is being attempted by this quote-unquote um, unilateral expansion of background checks. When you actually look at the attempted executive order, There's one group, okay? So let's take a look at this. He issued an executive order that the White House says, according to reason, will move federal regulation of gun sales, quote, as close to universal background checks as possible without additional legislation. The order relies on a legally contentious redefinition of who qualifies as a gun, quote unquote, dealer, and therefore must obtain a federal license and comply with related rules, including customer background checks. And this is what we have talked about, and this is why the NRA and so many others, USCCA or the USCA, yeah, USCCA um, and other organizations have vehemently opposed this. Because, Pat, what this would do is if I wanted to sell a gun legally to you, right? And let's say we're both in the state of Utah and we're complying with all the other regulations within Utah, right? I'm going to legally transfer that gun to you in your possession. They want to, the federal government wants to define me as a dealer. Thus, I have to apply for a license. I have to pay for that license. I have to pay for the background check. I must comply with all of those things, right? In order to sell that weapon to you. You know how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars all of that is? And oh, by the way, you have to keep that up over time 
and also be able to keep the records of the background check of the individual. And oh, by the way, also you now become responsible for what happens, right? See, this is where they're going with this. So, so basically what you're saying is they're all, they're, they're trying to make it so expensive that people can't deal guns. And then also at the same time, they're, they're, they're trying to make you responsible for anything that happens with said guns. So yeah, that's crazy. I, I don't think this holds up in court at the end of the day. Yeah. Yep. But I want you to listen to this. Biden's order does not say exactly how he intends to expand the number of people who are classified as dealers. Instead, it instructs Attorney General Merrick Garland, whose department includes the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, to quote unquote, clarify the definition of who is engaged in the business of dealing in firearms. Garland may do that through quote unquote, rulemaking as appropriate and consistent with applicable law. Now, back when Biden was vice president, the Obama administration considered a rule that would have covered anyone who sells 50 or more guns a year. While the White House Office of Legal Counsel and then Attorney General Eric Holder initially concluded the regulation was legally defensible, the Washington Post reported in 2015, some federal lawyers remained concerned that setting an arbitrary numerical threshold could leave the rule vulnerable to a challenge. Um, Vice President Kamala Harris pitched an even more ambitious idea when she ran against Biden, right? Under her plan, a hobbyist or collector who sold five or more guns in a single year, one-tenth the cutoff considered under Obama, would have been required. Now, what we also need to know in this rule, Pat, and in what exec the executive order was going to allow, is that uh, the language... And I don't have the specific language right in front of me here because I, I'm, I'm reading off of a Reason article. But the other part of the executive order is the, AT, is the, the rules of the ATF and what it would do and how it would define these things is basically make it impossible for you to own any semi-automatic weapon, okay? So they're redefining certain things within this executive order. It would make it almost impossible for anybody except for the federal government to own these types of weapons. This isn't just an attempt to, to make it harder to sell guns illegally, right? This isn't an attempt to do that. Because here's the rub, right? People who are already selling guns illegally are not going to be phased by a 50 rule or a five gun rule or anything else, right? They're not going to be phased by that. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to suddenly legally sell these things. No. The only people get hurt by this are people who legally want to purchase firearms or do whatever, right? When it comes to firearms. It's not just that. It is their ability to confiscate weapons. It is their ability to redefine what weapons can and cannot be sold. This is, this is another roundabout attempt to de-weaponize the American people. And I want you to understand this from the perspective of a much broader issue. We have a col potentially collapsing economic situation, right? We have a banking system that according to the people who define whether things are good, bad, or indifferent are suggesting to us that on the whole, our banking system is teetering. Meanwhile, the, the government wants to do what to the populace? So the only people with the guns eventually would be whom? The government. 
So when the economy explodes, the government's the only... Do you see where we're going with this, Pat? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. It's not just... There's no ability for us to fight back. There's no ability for us to tell the government to F off and we're going to alter the ties that bind us. Why? Because they hold all the cards and they hold all the guns. They hold all the weaponry. They hold everything in their hands. They're attempting to make sure that the only thing you can do is stand up and use your voice. That's it. And then what? Because when the bleep hits the fan, potentially, I still think there's a little bit of room here if we'd get things right over the next couple of years to not have this economy just go to shreds. What what happens if these things are allowed? This is why you can't just pay attention to one story. This is why it's really difficult for us Right to sit here and go well on this day and on this day and not. no these are all moving pieces of the of the chessboard and they're all moving together they are all this isn't one move at a time right this isn't let let's uh, move it and then clock no it is move and then move the second chess piece while you're not paying attention so while it's uh, you know we we see other shows just laser focused in on this. We need to focus on multiple things at the same time. And I hope you understand the broader implications of all of this. We're talking about war. We're talking about confiscation. We're talking about economic issues. All of these things are tied together. Because if you don't understand what time it is, if you don't understand that it is time for you to demand accountability, to demand your ability to defend yourself, to demand, not retribution, by the way, but justice for what took place over the last three years. And by the way, Pat, looking at this from this perspective, whom is providing justice? There's only one place, and we'll talk about it on Monday. I I just... We are living through times in which we have to be able to critically think. We have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to be able to think and understand multiple things. So when you see your Twitter feed just littered with talk of the same issue, find somebody talking about something else. Because that something else is the real important thing. And that real important thing is the government is looking at ways to not just restrict your rights, but to take them away. When they take away your first or your second, and when they take the second away, your first amendment right is going to be gone next. And when you don't have that amendment right anymore, you have nothing left that the federal government can or won't do to you. Just look at the January 6th trials versus the rest of the rioters from 2020, right? It's a good example. Take a look. We have a January 6th rioter who got 91 or 51 months in jail, or 91, yeah, 91 months in jail. For what? Nothing violent. Nothing violent at all. We have an individual in Portland, Oregon, Pat, 
who literally beat the tar out of a federal marshal in front of the courthouse in Portland, right, during their riots in 2020, beat him within an inch of his life. How much time did he serve in jail, Pat, do you think? Uh, probably not much, if any at all. None. Zip, zero, zilch. Not a single. They they worked a plea deal in which the individual got uh, some probation. This is the two-tier justice system at work. And this is why you need to pay attention. One side is on the side of the people in the bureaucratic wing of our federal government. The other side is on the other side. So you're going to get the book thrown at you. and They won't. This is going to get real ugly real fast if you don't pay attention and if you don't demand the right types of movement from the people who have some modicum of power right now. And I hope you understand that. All right, Pat. So your final thoughts on today's program. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And happy anniversary, Andrew. Happy anniversary oh, days to flatten the curve. Ugh. You son of a bee. <laughs> and with that, folks, enjoy your two-day college basketball extravaganza. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.